Well, thank you, Dylan. That's lovely. And I, 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 I know that Spirit Rock is beginning to be open now for uh, really live people being there. Uh, actually, a friend of mine is currently there for a four-day retreat, and it's so exciting to be back in a shared space. That uh, um, I know that we're all in California, at least a little bit, uh, uh, suddenly taken aback by new new rules about not um, not unmasking quite yet, and we choosing to keep the mask on, and uh, that the, the new variants are worrisome. But um, I, it seems like we are moving in a direction of people waking up to the need to take care of themselves. I hope. Um, I want to talk about hope today. One of the things that I wrote down that I really wanted to talk about, I spend, especially when I'm not here for a long time, I spend a week or even 10 days before we meet thinking, what do I want to talk about? Is it now's my chance? I can really say the important thing. And the important thing always turns out to be the same important thing. You know, it's, it's such a different time from 2,700 years ago when the Buddha was teaching. That's really, I mean, that's so banal to say, but it's a different time than two years ago. We are now, I hope, somewhat post-pandemic, but we are all kinds of post-other things, and we're getting used to it. And uh, there was a, a cartoon that I know that I told you about some weeks ago of two women looking out the window of their apartment uh, and, and in a big city, you can see from the cityscape. And one of them is saying to the other, I can't wait until this pandemic is over so I could begin to forget the deep insights I've had about myself during this time. And I love that because uh, I would say just the opposite. I'm really hoping that the deep insights that I had, that I think we all had, but that we don't forget it, that we don't say, whoops, okay, that's finished, forget about it. And that we end up uh, really having learned that anything can happen anytime. That really what I'm going to talk about today, I suppose, because it's all about the same thing, is anything can happen anytime. No one saw this coming. I mean, there were, of course, groups of scientists studying what they saw was going to be the new, was going to be an inevitable next pandemic. But no one talked about it. And all of a sudden, boom, we're in a pandemic. And now all of a sudden, not all of a sudden, but slowly, slowly, it looks like we're coming out of the other end of it. That you really don't know how what's going to happen next. That things happen because other things happen. Uh, that what, whatever is happening is going to change. Uh, that uh, I suppose the biggest takeaway I hope everybody has from today is that the Buddha said transient are all um, oral created things. Everything that arises passes away. That everything is impermanent uh, as a way of both saying, uh-oh, uh I, you know, this is the only moment that I am having this joy and let me be fully present for it. And this is really uh, such a painful moment. 
thank goodness that it, it will pass, everything will pass. You know, when I say that to you, I suddenly want to acknowledge my friend Tamara Engel, uh, who was the uh, one of the co-creators of New York Insight, uh, who I talked to until the day that she died out of this world. And she was hardly able to hold the phone. And uh, so the, the nurse in the hospice was holding it for her. And she said, this is going on so long. So when is it going to end? It's so, you know, it's so unpleasant. And I said, sweetheart, soon, soon it's going to happen. Everything passes away. Took a big breath. And she said, yes, I know that. I want to know that. I want to know that when I'm really faced with a big difficulty. I want to know that when something wonderful has happened and I don't cloud up my mind with other things and get in the way of enjoying it. And I really want to talk to so I want to talk to you about impermanence. I think a half a dozen times I wrote the name of this talk is impermanence and the value of getting it. And then the name of this talk is actually wise effort that 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 the undersung hero of the eightfold path. Then I wrote on the name of this talk is actually really paying attention to not only what's happening, but the truth of what's happening. What am I learning in this moment? So the name of this is everything. My uh, uh, my favorite phrase, maybe that'll be the name of this talk, is from the Dhammapada, and it's the phrase, anyone who understands impermanence ceases to be contentious. I just love that. I keep saying it to people, and they think about it, and they think about it. I have heard that, I, I don't know, for 20 or 30 or 40 years. And all of a sudden, I really think I get it. You know, I think that's the essence of practicing in the Dharma. You hear something, and you experience it, and you sort of get it. And then you get it a little more, and then you get it a little more. Somebody asked, I said that the pandemic seemed to me like a very long, a year-long silent retreat. It wasn't completely silent, but certainly clustered and sequestered. I said it felt like a retreat. And they said, well, you know, on a retreat, you hope to have insights. Do you have any new insights? I said, I have the same insights, but I have them better. How many people think that? How many people think that the pandemic did them some good in terms of deepening their understanding? Certainly deepen, say, oh, this is wonderful. I can see how many people have hands up. Deepen my understanding of life is precious. You know, how frequently the Buddha said life is precious. I said, yeah, yeah, that's a poetic, nice thing to say. But really, life is precious. And you never know. And you never know what even, not even from a pandemic, but from whatever could happen. Shocking things happen all the time that we don't expect to have happen. And to know that it could happen anytime. And to have that knowledge, instead of making you sad or morose or afraid of life, to make uh, it possible to really enjoy this moment. Somebody I read this morning said, um, I really apologize to my mind for not having stopped every time I was enjoying a meal, a meal in my life to really be grateful for the fact that I had the meal and that I had an appetite 
and that I could eat it and enjoy it. I really feel bad that I didn't take every single moment to think I'm alive and this is great. You know, just just like that. Uh, I thought about that. I I have been thinking very much these last days about um, how hard it is when, for instance, here we think that the pandemic is over and all of a sudden, uh oh, maybe not. The news is disquieting with the amounts of numbers of people in the country who don't yet get it, that it's a very bad idea not to get vaccinated. You might get really, of my mind, really yesterday, I, 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 I'm handling that, I'm handling that, I'm handling that. Then I read an article in the newspaper that said that uh, Dolly Parton made a big effort in Tennessee and donated a lot of money and made a song and rewrote the lyrics to something to get people to get vaccinated. And briefly, people responded, and then they stopped. And I felt so bad for Dolly Parton. All of a sudden, uh, somebody who's probably almost my age, and you know, strange things like that particular one suddenly demoralized me. Ah, if the state that she lives in, of which she is their favorite icon of music, can't listen. But then I think the other thing, I think that the, the practice in life is to look for those opportunities that you can grab onto and lift yourself up. So I think what I'm really talking about is wise effort. And then we're going to sit. This is a long wind, long-winded buildup to why we're sitting in the way we're sitting today. I think that wise effort is the unsung hero of the Eightfold Path. How many people here, well, everybody here heard of the Eightfold Path? Yes, yes, yes. The Eightfold Path is the practice path that the Buddha put out that he said, uh, in order to condition the mind to be able to uh, meet life fully with a cordial heart, not struggle, with things that we can't change, not create extra suffering for ourselves and others. We need to train the heart and mind to have the kind of wisdom that supports the equanimity that says, this is what's happening now. Let's see what happens next. That, I think that's the whole story. And probably if you had a test and said, write, write the Eightfold Path, People would remember wise action, wise speech, wise livelihood, wise mindfulness, wise concentration, wise understanding, and wise uh, intention. And then they'd say, what's the last one? I forgot the last one. And then they'd say, oh, okay. It's wise effort. You should make an effort. But it's not you should make an effort. It goes without saying you should make an effort. The specific effort is to notice unwholesome mind states in the mind and try to put them out of your mind and notice the absence of unwholesome mind states and say, oh good, my mind's in great shape, let's keep it that way. And notice the absence of wholesome mind states and think, what can I do that's gonna pick up my mind a little bit now and make it into its, uh, most generous, most forgiving, most loving, 
way that it can be in order to meet life, which is inevitably complicated in a loving way. That's it. That, it's, it's more than that. It's what can I do specifically to install wholesome mind states in my mind? Can I notice this is unwholesome? What can I do? Not, Ugh, I don't want to notice it, but what can I do? How can I temper it? So I was going, I was walking um, to the, um, I, in the town center, in the shopping center, not far from where I lived the other day. I was on my way to the Apple store to deal with my phone and my, uh, and my watch and something wasn't synchronized. And so I was dismayed about that a little bit. And I was hurrying because I was late a little bit, but I'm going to the Apple store. And on the way, as I'm walking along in this shopping center, alongside of me is a young, I mean, it's certainly an adult because she's got four children with her, a young woman with four children. And one she's pushing in a baby buggy and uh, one she's holding by the hand and two others are walking by themselves. And they're all quite young and they all look like each other actually. So I look at them and I, uh, of two of them actually look so like each other. I thought they were twins. She said, I said, are those boys twins? She said, no. This one is about to be five and this one is uh, about to be four and this one is two and a half and the baby is six months four boys. And I said, wow, you know, once upon a time, I also had four children that were less than under five years old for a while. And uh, it, it's a terrific thing. And she said, yeah, we, you know, my husband and I, we felt we could do this. We wanted to do this. And they're wonderful. And she, she's going, she's doing whatever. And the boys look quite relaxed, all of them. And she said, how are your children now? Are they, um, how, are you, how are your four children now? And I had the great pleasure of saying, they're all fine. They're all 60 years old, more or less. And uh, they're all well. And uh, it was wonderful. And she said, I'm so glad to meet you. You made me feel very good. And I said, I'm so glad to meet you because you did me a lot of good. And we went on our way. The good, the good that she did me is maybe, maybe I won't be able to explain it well. As I thought to myself, I could right now start to think to myself, the world is in a terrible state. It's not such a wise idea to have four children. Who knows what the planet is going to heat up? Who knows this? Who knows that? Too many people on the world already. I could have thought a number of demoralizing thoughts, but instead, I rejoiced for this woman with these four beautiful children that she was pleased with and having a good time with. I didn't have a story about it. And I realized I could fall into a story. There's a million stories that, about whatever that I could tell, but I didn't choose any of those stories. I chose to be delighted in her and in her, uh, her pleasure about her life. And I noticed that in that moment of being connected to her, I did the same thing 60 years ago. Uh, I felt better from I was late. I was worried that maybe I wouldn't be able to fix this stuff. Uh, the Apple store is full of people. 
who are uh, way faster than I am with digital equipment. But I thought to myself, after the whole, and I fixed my phone and my, my fixed my watch, everything I fixed, I went home. And I thought what I was doing there is I logged on to her energy and I went with it. I chose to rejoice in her rather than criticize her or think anything else or have an opinion about it. I don't want to have an opinion. Uh, the end of the Metta Sutta that says, by not clinging to fixed views, the pure-hearted one is not born again into a world of suffering. And I don't think that means after you die and if we don't come back in another human lifetime. I think it means a minute from now we are born into a moment of suffering or a realm of struggle. And minute to minute, what the practice is about is choosing to be born into a realm of confidence and a realm of hopefulness. And we have a million stories that we could choose from. I could tell myself this or that or the other story. I could even tell myself the story of, oh, my, my life was so fun when it was like that and now I'm old. There's a million stories that I could tell. But the story I chose to tell is good for her. Look at this woman, exuberant and happy and living her life. I was happy for her. And somebody sent to me in a phone call yesterday, I think mudita is much harder than uh, compassion practice. Rejoicing in other people's good fortune is harder than feeling compassion for people who are struggling. I think that's maybe true. It's because now is not the time I want to elaborate on that. But to really recognize, oh, here is pleasure in the world. And this, here's this woman, she's having pleasure. And so can I in her and her faith. By the way, in the last week, in the names I would call this talk, one of the, call, one of the things I was going to name it was faith. <laughs> so it could be all of those things, faith, impermanence, uh, wise effort, hope. You know what I thought about faith? Uh, there was an article, oh, I'm thinking, that's all right. We have two hours. We can do this any way we want. There was an article on last Sunday's New York Times. Who read the article about uh, can Silicon Valley find God? Did you read that? It was a complicated article and not very good, I didn't think. So you don't really, I, I thought that it's, um, comparisons were not really helpful. But it was talking, it was using the words faith communities. Could you belong to a faith community and still be a, a Buddhist or still be a, a meditator or still be a student? Uh, or whether faith, and, and I, I was thinking about, there's a difference between saying I have faith in or I have faith that. And I... I decided that for myself, I have faith that it's possible for human beings to change their mind, that it's possible for human beings to temper 
the habits of their mind. Possible for human beings to uh, discover that uh, kindness is really the only route to happiness. That goodwill and concern for others, that empathy and compassion is really the key to freedom. I have faith. I don't know if I, I, I don't know if everybody can experience that, but I know that some people can, because you can and I can, and we're all here because we've had glimpses of that. We've had glimpses when our minds were not stuck in suffering. I have faith that it's possible to be a human being that doesn't fight with experience and says, this is what's happening. Let's see what happens next. And what can I do to make my life without additional suffering and other people's as well? Somebody told me this yesterday. So I said, wait, wait, tell it to me again and I'll write it down. And they, they said about hope. Hope is the mindful awareness that there, that thanks to impermanence, there will be change. Thanks for impermanence. Thanks to impermanence, that's a sweet way to put it. Hope is the mindful awareness that thanks to impermanence, there will be change, and therefore there exists the possibility that that change will be for the better. That's it. That's it. It might take long or short to get to that. But things are going to change. I think we should probably sit. I had in mind that we would sit today uh, with, um, you know what I did? I got distracted because I think someone's at my door. Hold on. <laughs> I was sure. Um, anyway, my granddaughter is in the class today. And I was sure she was at my door and hesitating about coming in. So now you know she's here. Before we finish today, I'll have her say hello to you. But she came particularly to learn to meditate. So this is her morning to learn to meditate along with everybody else. Um, I, want, I was thinking of the numbers of meditation practices that cultivate the awareness that you could change your mind from moment to moment by intending it to be different. Of course, when you're overwhelmed with grief, you can't do that. When you're overwhelmed with fear, you can't do that. There's no such thing as mindful hysteria or mindful grief. I mean, there's a way that those are conditions that are physiological in the body. You need to calm down first to be able to say, I am overwhelmed with grief. I am beside myself with fear. As soon as you can say, this is happening, 
then you know that this is happening. I am in a realm of grief. I'm in a realm of fear. But then you can also say, now what should I do? And I was thinking about the instruction that Thich Nhat Hanh gives frequently, gave when he was teaching. Of course, he's old and quite sick now. But one of the teaching techniques that he had was as he would give instructions, as I will in a minute, for let's all sit and let the body relax and all those things. He would uh, give some instructions for the mind and body to relax. And then he would say, smile. And then he would be quiet and people would sit and feel their breath and all those things that they are instructed to do to calm the mind. And um, in the beginning, I remember him even saying, I remember hearing him say to a, an audience that I was in, uh, sometimes when I say to people that the most important instruction when you're sitting is to smile, and people respond to me afterwards and they say, I don't like that instruction because I don't like for you to tell me to smile. What if I'm not happy and you're telling me to smile? He said, I didn't tell you to be happy. I told you just to smile. That when you smile, the muscles in your face relax a little bit. And you might in that moment actually think to yourself, you know what? The muscles in my face have relaxed. You feel a little better. Maybe you have the thought in that moment. You know, I remember when I did feel happy. Or I remember when I did feel at ease. Or I remember when I could smile just because I felt like it. And it reminds me that maybe someday I'll smile again. This second, I don't feel good. But that being at ease is a possibility. Just to do it. Um, it's not fake it until you make it, really. Because you're not faking happiness when you smile. You're just smiling when you smile. But neurologically, it gives a message to your body, relax, things are all right. So I'm thinking about starting uh, a sitting with a um, meditation mantra from Thich Nhat Hanh, where he says, as people are sitting, think to yourself as you breathe in and out, breathing in, I calm my body, breathing out, I smile. We'll do that right away. And after we do that for a little while, I'll remind you of um, a second meditation mantra. The second mantra is, may I meet this moment fully. May I meet it as a friend. That has more, seems to me, it's a little bit more directed in instructions for practice. May I meet this moment fully means may I really be awake to what's happening in my mind and body, including if I'm not feeling happy, I, to be able to mindfully say, I'm so sad about this. I'm really feeling sad or I'm really feeling frightened is not to push away the sad or push away the frightened or push away whatever is happening that's unpleasant because it's happening. And what happens if you push it away is it, uh, it pushes back 
and the body gets cancer and cancer. I think to myself, it's like my body is saying to me, hey, you're not telling the truth. Uh, you're not really at ease. May I meet this moment fully? Means may I be able to stay here and say to myself, you know, I feel really discouraged. I feel bummed out. My head hurts me. This hurts, that hurts, whatever is going on with you. But to be able to say it in a way that's, this is what's happening. And I'm here anyway. I know about it. The second, it's the second meditation. Now, the first is different. This one says, this is what's happening. And may I meet it as a friend means may I not struggle with it. May I not say, ah, oh, this has got to go away. This shouldn't be here. This is foolish to worry about that. May I meet it as a friend. Everybody who's gone to a mindfulness retreat or even a day-long mindfulness practice class probably has had the teacher read the poem, The Guest House by Rumi. Everybody's a favorite poem of meditation teachers. The guest house, the mind is a guest house. And every day, different things are at the door. This day, um, a sadness, this day, a memory, this day, a fear. And you open the door and your mind is a guest house and say, come in. You can say, relax, make yourself at home. You don't have to stay, say, forever. You don't have to really encourage it to stay. But not to push it away. It's a guest house. Everybody gets to come in and leave when they're ready. In the meantime, you acknowledge it for what it is. My mind is, there's a sadness here. Okay, I'll feel it. What does it feel like? Feels like a heaviness. Feels like a heaviness. It feels unpleasant. Feels unpleasant. I really wish it weren't here. All those things are true. Meet it and recognize it. It's a guest. Let it in. Don't hold on to it. When you recognize it and recognize it, it takes some of the power out of it. And then it says, okay, I'm going to leave. So the mind is a guest house, but guests come in and they leave. The second part of that particular reflection is, may I meet it as a friend? And that's like the, the host or the hostess at the guest house. Come in. Knocking at the door, you can come in. And you can be here as long as you need to be here. And you can leave whenever you're ready to leave. I won't tell you the third mantra. I have three that I plan to offer for you to use and practice with as we sit and meditate. Um, I won't tell you the third one because someone just told it to me yesterday. And um, it was fun to think about afterwards. And I thought, well, I'm just going to put that one on as well and see how that works and what people think about it. So all, all, the, all the techniques of mindfulness, contemplating, uh, may I meet this moment fully? May I meet it as a friend? Breathing in, I calm my body. Breathing out, I smile. Are all affirmations of this, something that I can do. The world is the world. I, one of the quotes that I had that I was going to tell you just to begin with is uh, there's an article in the recent New Yorker uh, about uh, the change in New York as it comes back to life. 
and it's talking about a particular uh, restaurant in the Bronx that stayed open through the pandemic. And the owner of it, uh, a man who staunchly has kept it open with takeout throughout, said, uh, life changes, but we remain. And I thought, you don't have to be the Buddha to know that. Life changes, we remain. This arises, it passes away. And one after another, we deal with what's happening until it isn't here anymore. Uh, one of my, uh, one of the um, translations of the last words that the Buddha said in this life is step into the future with confidence. And recently I read yet another Pali scholar who said, I think the last translation is greet the future with confidence. Because I don't think we move into the future. I think the future arises. We stay just where we are, like this barbecue restaurant in the Bronx. We stay just where we are. Things arise, and then other things arise, and then other things arise. This whole last year arose and passed away. And the whole of the history of the earth did too. And we who are on this, in this group together, we're all still here. And this afternoon will arise and tomorrow, may I meet it as a friend so that I'll meet it the best I can with as clear a mind as I can so that I respond to it with compassion. That's the whole of this practice. How can we respond to complex lives with compassion? So, okay, now we have some time, <laughs> some time to sit quietly and practice that. So find a way to sit that's comfortable for you. I, I, I'm sitting in a chair. You might be sitting on a sofa, on a chair, wherever you're sitting. You can have your legs down. You can have that. You're sitting on a sofa. You put your legs up. You can really sit there. What, what classically people think of as a meditative posture. When I started meditating 40 years ago, everybody sat on the floor. And as people have gotten older, myself included, most of us are sitting in chairs. But you don't get enlightened faster than sitting on the floor or in a chair. But sit in something that you're comfortable. You can put your hands on your lap and hold hands with yourself. Or you can put your hands on your thighs. I sometimes put my hands on my um, desk, which is right in front of me. But put yourself in a posture where you can sit still. And then let your eyes close. I like to always notice when I close my eyes that if I listen very hard, like really listen, listen, particularly if the room is quiet and I'm listening hard, 
that my body presents itself to me. I feel it more clearly. I feel where I'm sitting. I feel the pressure on my bottom. I feel my feet where they are. My arms. If the room is a little cooler, the body temperature, I feel the parts of my body, like my face, my arms, that aren't covered with clothing, to be cooler than the rest of my body. And if I don't do anything at all, I sit still and keep my attention focused on this whole body, sitting how it's sitting. What I notice is that this body is being breathed, breath after breath. I don't need to think to myself, take a breath, blow it out without thinking that at all. My body is being breathed. It's a kind of a magical thing that happens between the lungs and this whole body and the whole biosphere around me. For breathing to happen, the air has to be clear enough has to have enough oxygen in it. And my body needs to be viable. My diaphragm needs to work. My endocrine system needs to work. Sometimes people say, how boring, just sitting, nothing's happening. It's not boring. If I think to myself, this is a miracle, just without doing anything, I'm getting rebreathed into another breath, another moment of living, and carry on until the end of my life. And so is everybody else. That's an oxygen breathing. being on this planet. Feeling with your attention, this whole body sitting in whatever posture it's sitting, your feet, your hands, and your arms, wherever they are. 
at an intention. You don't need to do it on every single breath. You can just sit still and enjoy the miracle of breath after breath being breathed. Or you can say to yourself, as you breathe in, breathing in, I calm my body. Breathing out, I smile. Breathing in, I calm my body. Breathing out, I smile. You can notice how you feel when you do that, what happens when you do that, if there are stories in the mind when you do that, if there are insights in the mind when you do that. Mostly just rest. Breathing in, I calm my body. Breathing out, I smile. We'll sit this way for seven or eight minutes.
You can, of course, stay with this practice just as it is if you find it useful, pleasant, if you want to experiment with how a different intention in the mind might produce a somewhat different insight, you might spend the next period of time with the intention May I meet this moment fully. May I meet it as a friend. You don't have to say that every single time you breathe in or out. You can sit with, uh, I will sit with a more open awareness. Just listening to everything that's going on in the room. And the room where I am is pretty quiet. I hear the birds outside. Sometimes I hear traffic going by. More than that, thoughts arise and pass away. Suddenly think of this that I should do or that opinion that I had. Thoughts just come and go the same way that weather comes and goes, like clouds. You don't know why you thought that right now, but they just do. And every single thing that arises in the mind comes with a valence of either pleasant or unpleasant or not so pretty neutral, doesn't make a difference one way or the other. 
So in fact, it demands of the mind a certain amount, perhaps more, of vigilance and alertness and awareness. So figure it trains the awareness. Whatever arises, may I meet this moment fully. May I meet it as a friend. Again, just to say some, that to yourself when something that you notice remarkably that maybe is not so easy. Maybe your mind is bored or your neck is stiff or you think a thought that you really hadn't wanted to remember. And in response to anything that disturbs the essential piece of your mind, to say to yourself, may I meet this moment fully? May I meet it as a friend? That's really the, the instruction for the whole rest of life. So it's good to practice it, meeting it fully as a friend. And we'll sit another seven minutes with that. Thank you. 
And I'll suggest a third rubric, a third mantra that you can try if you want to. I, I won't tell you what I what I think makes it similar to the others or different from the others, but still another way of saying what's true about our life situation. And someone suggested it to me yesterday. So I'll try it out together with you and then we can see what people think about it. The person said to me, how about reflecting on this as a mantra? And the reflection was, smell the roses, blow out the candles. Smell the roses, blow out the candles. Let's just think about it for three minutes. Smell the roses, blow out the candles. Let's prepare to look at each other and then let's look at each other for a minute or two on your screen. Maybe look on your screen, look on the next screen and look on the next screen. We have four screens all together. And take a moment to look at everybody. Some people you don't know, some people you do know. Everybody guaranteed has a story in everybody's room, in everybody's, I'm, I'm really training myself not to say in everybody's box because nobody's in a box. Everybody's in a room, in a house, in the middle of a life. Everybody's got people. And some of them are having a, a time of rejoicing and a time of delight. And some of them are having a struggle. Some of them are just getting born into this life, and some of them are on their way out of this life. 
Susan Felix, who was um, over the years um, um, a pretty steady part of the Wednesday morning class, is near the end of her life now. And lots of people are holding her in their hearts these days. As she makes this transition. Pick out somebody that you don't know personally, but you see their picture. I guess you could just see their name, but uh, you see their picture and uh, you don't know them, except they're somewhere in this world where you sometimes even know because it says where they are. And see what happens if you wish them well. May you feel well, may you be content. May your day be going well. Make a blessing that would work because it would work for you. I would love it if people thought that about me. May you be well. Kind of thing that you just wish for people. Because you'd wish it for yourself. For what's difficult in your life, may your mind be sustained. For what's pleasant in your life and gratifying at this moment, may you enjoy that. I'm sort of experimenting to see whether I feel different if I know the person or if I don't know the person. I don't know that I feel it different because I know them or I don't know them. I'm not sure it makes a difference. I think the mind in blessing mode feels good. It feels good right away because if it's in blessing mode, blessing somebody else, it's for one thing not self-preoccupied, which is a pleasure. May all beings everywhere be moving into this moment in their life with equanimity, with wisdom, with discernment, with faith, that moving through all the parts of life, as we all do it. It's a precious experience. May all beings be peaceful and happy 
and come to the end of suffering. May they be wise. May they be held in compassion and hold themselves in compassion. I always think about whether I should ring a bell or not ring a bell. I don't, mostly I don't have a proper bell, but I found in my closet the other day this wee bell that I don't know how long I've had it in this box. I thought, well, I could use that wee bell. There you go. It makes a teeny tiny sound too. I wonder. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.